aren't we grateful for what God's doing within the life of our church? But I don't know about you, but has this been a fast summer or what? I'm telling you, it's just like uh, the other day. Didn't it just seem like Memorial Day weekend about two hours ago? I'm telling you, it has been such a fast and furious summer, and what a, what an exciting time it's been with our students in Guatemala, going to Passion Camp or Windshake Camp or all the different avenues that we've been ministering throughout our community this summer. I mean, it's been fast and furious, and isn't it hard to believe tomorrow is the first day of school? Do you remember when summer was over and the next day was going to be your first day back? I mean, how many of you ever, when you walked into that classroom, how many of you ever got a teacher you didn't want? I mean, you ever walked in that room and he said, dear Jesus, help me. They're not going to make it or I'm not going to make it. Uh, one of the teachers I had in fourth grade, her name was Mrs. Hay, and, and uh, man, I tell you what, I was, uh, I asked a lot of questions as a child. I mean, Chip, I asked question after question, and in fourth grade, we'd be talking about science, I'd ask a question about math, we'd get over to something else, and I'd ask a question that happened in the first part of the day. I mean, I mean, she about pulled her hair out with me throughout the year. Uh, But I tell you what, that lady just loved me and loved me and loved me, even though I irritated her. And what a blessing it was all those years later, pastoring in that community. And every time Mrs. Hay would see me, she would give me the biggest hug and said, I knew there was hope for you one day. (laughs) But you know, for some of you, learning comes really easy. For some of you, reading is really easy for you. You need to thank the Lord for that. If learning and reading is really easy for you, you really need to say, thank you, Lord, that you've given me that ability. My growing up was the opposite. You know, when you ever had to take a standardized test and they would mark you, you take it in a year, and, and it would show, you know, uh, you're in this grade, but this is where your reading level, this is where you really are. When I would open up the results from those tests, uh, my mom would always kind of, I'd take those results home and say, Mom, here's my results. And most of the time we would look at the results and... Um, most of the time, I would cry over them. Eric, you're supposed to be at a sixth grade reading level, but you're about at a third grade reading level. Because I saw everything upside down. I saw everything in, in a very difficult way. So one of the things that my mom and I did every summer, we spent the summer praying about who's going to be my teacher. We did. My mom taught me, we pray about everything, and we pray about the teacher God's going to give you. 
my summer between the second and third grade year, mom and I spent the whole summer praying about who's going to be my teacher because my second grade teacher took me out in the hallway one day and said, are you just so dumb? Your brother could do this work when I had you. Why can't you do this? Your life's not going to matter worth a thing. I can take you to the elementary school and I can, put you, I can put you on that spot. I want to remind you teachers as you teach, be very careful every word you say. So we prayed all of that summer before my third, third grade year and said, Lord, what teacher I need to get? And we were praying that for sure I would not get one teacher. You know, do you ever know the teacher you don't want to get? Well, guess who I got? I walked in third grade. I got that teacher. I sat in that class absolutely scared to death. I mean, she was known. She was vicious, you know. But I had no earthly idea in about two weeks. That lady would know exactly what my issues were. And she would know a therapist about 45 minutes away who was on the cutting edge to help people with what I had. And I learned quickly, sometimes when a school year starts, sometimes it might not seem it's what you need, but God is so much greater and God's looking ahead of what you need. Because that teacher, God knew I needed that teacher to help me with all my problems and my issues. And uh, I went to therapy at least twice a week and and every day, uh, parents, I did exercises. I mean, one of the things was my muscles and my eyes were really weak. They had to drop a string down on a ball in our, in our living room. And every day I had to go hit that ball so many times to work on the muscles of my eyes and put all these blinders on to do all this stuff. So here's what I want you to hear. Please, grandparents, listen to me. Parents, listen. Some of y'all are dealing with a grandchild or a child that's struggling. Remember, they are not what a test says they are. They are a creation of Almighty God. And let me tell you, God can do great things through them. So don't give up on them. We know today in America... Uh, the percentage of young boys being born that have autism is great. And autism is about touched. Every single one of our families is touched by it. Let me tell you, let that child be a gift in your life. And let me tell you what, you will see God's grace and you will see God's mercy in a beautiful way. Why do I say all that? Because I believe in a new school year, as we kind of turn to the fall, it's a time to refocus, it's a time to reevaluate, it's a time to get planted again. Most of your families, you've lived the last 10 weeks kind of crazy. You've stayed up late, you ate stuff that you normally wouldn't eat, your schedule's all over the place. Tomorrow morning, you're back in routine. You might say, well, my kids have been out of the house for 40 years. Well, it's a great time to reevaluate. It's a great time to refocus. Look at this quote, and I found this quote from Uncle Hyatt. Listen to this. People lose their way when they stop asking the why question. 
Hopefully it'll come up on the screen for you. People lose their way when they stop asking the why question. People all the time are losing their way and they're not knowing what they're supposed to do. They lose their way when they forget the why. And I want you to know that can even be true with churches. It's very easy for a church to lose their way when they forget to ask why. So I wanted to answer that for you just really quickly. We don't want to lose our way as a church. And let me tell you, this afternoon at 3.30 is not about our church being busy. I don't want First Baptist to be a busy church. I want First Baptist to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want us to always be answering the why question. The why question for us is that we are here because we want to see lives transformed. We want to see the transforming power of God to change lives. So what are we doing this afternoon? Why are we in the nursing homes? Why are we picking up trash? Why are we doing 10 block parties? Why are we doing all that? We're doing all that. Here's the reason why. We want people to know that Christ can transform their life. Here's our one desire, and this is the statement. We have one desire that there'll be no place, location, or relationship that is not engaging Jesus Christ. We want everybody that calls Volusia County home, we want to be in every street, in every home, in every neighborhood, in every school, and we want to engage every single person that calls Volusia County. We want to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because we firmly believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other hope but the name of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So what are we about? What is our why? Our why is we want people to be transformed by the power of Almighty God, and we want to engage them with Christ. It's not about being busy. It's not about doing another program. It's not about having another activity. But for the glory of God, everything we want to do, we want to, I mean, to encounter people with Christ. We got to ask the why question. But I want you as a family, I want you to reevaluate your life. Why are we doing what we're doing, or have we lost our way? Last week we started the series All In. I believe we've got to be all in. Not I, but Christ. How many of you have got? How many of you got your cross? We've been praying all week. Not I, but Christ. Can I show you a picture I received this week? And it just blessed my heart. Uh, Hopefully it'll come up. Don't you love what a person wrote on their mirror? Because we we said, how many minutes a day does a lady spend getting ready? How many minutes? Y'all better remember this. How many minutes a day? 55 minutes a day, the average lady spends getting ready. I I love that picture in their bathroom over the mirror saying, Not I, but Christ. 
Can, can I get really personal today? I know I'm going to mess up our camera, but let's get really personal. When you look in the mirror, do you see three words? I want you to look in this mirror, and here's the challenge today. When you walk out of this room, I want you to see three words. Ready? First word, deny. When, when, I, when I come and look at you, can, I, I got some news for you. You might say, well, Pastor Eric, I don't want to look in that mirror. Well, guess what? One day you are going to stand before God. I'm not going to be there. You're not going to say, hey, can I, can I do a phone message and call Pastor Eric? Can, can he come in this room with me? I uh, know. One day it's going to be you and God. So let's get really personal. When you look in the mirror, first word, write this word down. As a matter of fact, in the first service, I was writing this in with lipstick. It was so hot in the warehouse, the lipstick melted on me. Have you ever done an example and the example falls apart on you? It's not a fun thing. First word I want you to write down, deny. When you look in here, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow me, Deny. Second word I want you to write down. Here's second word. Die. Well, Eric, that's not a very pleasant thing. Well, it says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself. Second thing you got to do, you got to pick up the cross. I mean, Jesus And Luke chapter 9 is giving us the conditions of a disciple. He is laying out for clearly is for us what it means to be a disciple. And here's the problem, and this is why I title this. We have too many weekend soldiers and warriors, and we need full-time soldiers. We got too many people in America... They want to be a a weekend warrior for Christ. Christ does not call us to be a weekend warrior. Christ calls us to be a full-time warrior. Second word, die. Third word, you ready for the third word? Most of the time when we think of the third word, we think if it's a, a word of losing. But with Christ, it's a word of winning. Ready? Third word, surrender. As a matter of fact, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 and look at verse number 23. In Luke chapter 9, he's got a crowd of people around him, and he is going to lay out for them what it means to be a full-time warrior for Christ. And and you're going to see in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24, it is the reverse of what we think. It is the direct reverse. Today we would say, hey, 
If you want your life, your life is about you. Your life is about your pleasure. Your life is about what you want to do. But Jesus says the reverse. If you want life, you must lose it. The world says if you want life, you need power. If you want life, you need popularity. If you want life, you need this. But Jesus says, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to follow me, lose your life. So really in this passage of Scripture and Luke chapter 9, in these verses, there's really two choices. Are you ready? Here's the two choices of life. Lose your life, and you'll get life forevermore. Choose life today, and you'll lose forevermore. I mean, look at the options he's given us in Luke chapter 9. You either lose your life, and you'll get life forevermore, or if you choose life and pleasure, and you today, you will lose forevermore. Jesus saying, hey, if you want to follow me, it's a serious thing. So here's the one thought I really want you to get. Here's our thought of the day. Our thought is this. Our cross, deny, die, follow him. The Christian life is really simplistic. It's really bold. To be in Christ and be like Christ. We make Christianity so complicated, but it's really simple. It's to be with Christ and in Christ. And how do we do that? We die. We deny. We surrender. Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I want you to get this. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me. Mark in your Bible there, if anyone. I love it that, I don't love it, but wouldn't it be nice if we could say, since everyone. It doesn't say since everyone. It says, if anyone comes after me. May I ask you the question, who is the anyone? Uh, Let's answer this. If anyone desires to come after me, who is anyone? Anyone. Is the anyone only for a certain chosen few? I believe anyone means anyone, and I want you to know, I believe Jesus Christ died for every soul of Volusia County, and I believe God doesn't want anybody to perish and go to hell. I believe he wants everybody to be saved. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to serve a God who doesn't want everybody to be saved. But I want you to know, I serve a God that wants everybody to be saved. If anyone, who are those anyone's? Well, let's look. I'm glad you asked. Let's look back. Look at Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 34 and 35. Who's the anyone's? The anyone's are the demon possessed. 
John, I had an interesting thing happen a couple weeks ago. I had a meeting, and I was coming back in. It was about, I don't know, Pastor Ken, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, coming in somewhere around there, 4.30-ish. I was coming back in, and I was coming back into the office door. All of a sudden, a gentleman meets me there and said, I want to meet with a pastor. I said, I'm the pastor. I'd love to talk to you. So that became a very interesting conversation. And uh, Pastor Ken and all those guys were inside, and they could hear. It was a very interesting conversation. And as a matter of fact, praise God for my bracelet that says, Every Soul Matters. Because several times in that conversation, I just had to grab that bracelet and remind myself. Every soul matters. This gentleman was so confused and so messed up. Who's anyone? The anyone's who's the really messed up. Some of you have some people really messed up in your family. They can be an anyone. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 8. Who is our anyone? Remember, it's legion. Remember, he's full of demons. Remember, he's the wild man running around without any clothes on. He's not in his right mind. I mean, he is just off the charts out there. Look what Jesus does. Verse 34. When those who fed them saw what had happened. They fled and told it in the, they told it in the city and in the country. Verse 35. Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed. Look what he's doing, if anyone. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. How did they find him? Clothed and in his right mind. Who's the anyone? The anyone can be the demon possessed. Is the anyone. Who's the anyone? Look down in verse 43. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Probably one of the the miracles that I I enjoy more than any other. It's a miracle in Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Remember, it's the lady who has the issue of blood. And the scripture tells us, and that she has spent all that she had. She had nothing left. She had nowhere else to turn. I mean, she was in the corner with no hope, helpless. I mean, it, she was done. Who's the anyone? First Baptist, the anyone is a person who has spent all. The anyone is a person has gone everything. The anyone is a person that has nothing left. Here's a statement I want you to get. When you have nothing, you can trust in Jesus. 
When you have nowhere else to turn, you entrust in Jesus. Look what it says in Luke chapter 8. Who's our anyone demon-possessed? Who's our anyone? The person that spent it all and they're hopeless. Verse 43, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who has spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by anyone. Verse 44, and came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood was stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those who said, Master, look at the multitude strong and impressing you and saying to you, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me for I perceive power going out from me. Who is the anyone? The anyone is the purpose, is the person who is absolutely helpless and have spent everything they've got. Who's the anyone? Look at Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 53. Who's the anyone? Demon-possessed. Who is the anyone? I've spent all. I'm done. I don't know what to do. I'm coming to Jesus. Who is the anyone? The anyone is a father that is hurting over an only daughter that is dead. A daughter at first is dying. Jairus, he was, a, he was a leader. He was a ruler. He had people that he was over authority of. But all of a sudden, his family is shattered. His only daughter is in trouble. But now she's dead. Look at me, men. Who's the anyone? The anyone is a hurting father. What happens in Luke chapter 8? Look what it says in verse 54. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Who's the anyone? The anyone is a family that's hurting. The anyone is a demon possessed. The anyone is a lady that has no hope. The anyone is a father that's hurting. The anyone is a person who's hungry. Look at Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, this is the incredible story of Jesus taking the five loaves and the two little fishes. Look at verse number 16, Luke chapter 9, verse 16. Who is the anyone? The anyone is a little boy. The little boy that transferred what he had and Christ transformed it. Get this statement. The little boy transformed what he had, and Christ transformed it. What is a disciple? A disciple is one that has transferred all rights, all authority, has transferred everything to God, then God transforms it. We transfer it, God transforms it. Notice what happens in this text of Scripture in Luke chapter 9, verse 16. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke 
them and gave it to disciples to set before the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Look back at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone, if anyone desires, write this down, number one, if anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires to come after me, that means anyone, when we desire to come after him, then Jesus tells us this is what we've got to do. Can I tell you, if you desire to come after him, this is what we got to do. Let's keep reading verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, write this second thing down. Here we go. Deny himself. When I say deny himself, when Jesus is saying deny himself, he's just not saying denying a couple of things, just denying certain things. Can I tell you, look at this definition. Self-denial means giving up our rights to lead and surrendering to Christ's lordship over our life. Denying ourselves is saying, Lord, I'm giving up all of my rights. I'm giving up everything. Lord, I am surrendering to the lordship of Christ. Lord, I am denying. Jesus is saying, hey, if anyone desires to come after me first and foremost, you got to deny yourself. Well, what does that look like? Let me kind of put some handles on it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. What does it look like to deny ourselves? I mean, I put that self-denial means giving up our rights to lead and surrender. But let's make this really personal. I, I think Romans chapter 12 is really personal. What does it look like to deny ourselves? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. When we deny ourselves, what does that mean? We are saying no to the world, and we're saying, I'm not going to be squeezed in the mold of this world, but I'm saying no to the world, and I'm saying yes to Jesus. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? To deny ourselves is saying no to the world. Do not be conformed. Look at the next thing it says in verse number two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that saying? The second thing I put, that is saying yes to the word of God. Denying ourselves means I'm saying no to the world, but I'm saying yes to the word of God. I'm saying yes, I'm going to be transformed by the truth. Look at verse number three. Verse number three, when we deny ourselves, we're having an accurate view of ourselves, and we're having an accurate view of other people. In verse number three, it says, For I say, through the grace given me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of you a measure of faith, denying ourselves that we have an accurate view of our of ourselves, that now we are in Christ Jesus and I no longer live. 
Verse number five and verse number six tells us when we deny ourselves, we have an accurate view of other people, that we are one body, but there's many different parts of that body. And God's given us grace and that grace that God's given us so we can be used in the body of Christ. So what does it mean to deny Christ? Deny, not deny Christ. What does it mean to deny ourselves? That means so simply saying no to the world, saying yes to the word of God. It's saying, this is who I am in Christ, and this is who other people are. But it gets a little bit even deeper than that. Look at Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 14. What does it mean to deny ourselves? Bless those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but is it hard to bless somebody who's difficult to you? How many of you right now have somebody that's really difficult right now? I mean, for the fact of the matter, if you saw them at Publix or Walmart this afternoon, you, mu- you want to go to another aisle. How many of you have somebody, you know, they are blessed though. What does it look like to deny ourselves? It is a blessing those who persecute you. Denying yourself. As we think about that, we also got to think about the country of Nepal. There's a great move of God that's happening in the country of Nepal. But let me tell you what's got to happen. It's either today or Monday that they're outlawing Christianity in the country of Nepal. There is such a great move of God of the house church in Nepal. There are literally thousands of churches that are exploding all throughout that country. Amy and I have had the privilege to to meet the leaders of that great move of God in Nepal. And we're praying for them because... Today, every Christian in Nepal or tomorrow, they're all having to make a decision. Am I going to bless those who are going to persecute me? Look what it says on down in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. When we're denying ourselves, when somebody does us evil, we were not returning it with evil. Verse number 19 tells us when we're denying ourselves. Look what it says in verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What's denying look like? Denying is saying, I refuse to take revenge. I'm not going to revenge myself. Why? Because I'm going to deny myself. If anyone desires, deny yourself. Look at the next thing Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And here's that next statement. Take up his cross. What is that? That means to die to yourself. 
It means to die to your desires, to die to your ambitions, to die to your wants. It means to count yourself crucified. Is to count yourself crucified and alive with Christ, 1 Peter 4, 2. It means that sin no longer reigns in your life. It means that you're yielded to your life to God, Romans 6, 13. It means that your bodily members are an instrument for Almighty God's righteousness. What's at stake? Look at verse 24. Luke 9, 24. For for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We really have two choices. We're either going to pick up the cross and follow him and lose our life and we'll gain it. Don't you love it in Philippians chapter 3 where the apostle Paul says, you know what, I count everything lost. I count everything rubbish that I might know Christ. What does it mean to pick up the cross? It means you die to everything except Him. Fourth thing, write this down. And let Him deny Himself, take up His cross daily. Follow me. You know what that follow me really means? It means surrender. It's a full surrender. That word there, when you really look at it in the Greek, that word follow me means to walk in the same way, to take the same road. It's not that you're walking 10 steps behind, but it means you're walking in the same way. Have you ever had a time in your life where you were having to follow two different people? Have you ever had a time in your life when they say, hey, you got to follow us? It's easy to follow two people when they're going the same way. But there comes a point where they're not going the same way. One's going one direction, one's going to, and you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a choice. Which one are you going to surrender? Which one are you going to walk in that way? You know what Jesus is saying right here? Follow me. Surrender and walk with me. Several years ago, during the very first Gulf War, one of my dear friends, Robert, he was in the military and he was a scout for the military. And during the first Gulf War, he was always, a lot of times, he was the father's person into a rocket during that time. He was always scouting and out so they could, he could call in what needs to happen and what's going. I mean, he was so far in the enemy territory. Many times he was the farthest one in the enemy territory out of anybody. And Rob, remember, man, I'm way out in enemy territory. Who am I going to follow? But do you remember after we bombarded all of those days, there came a point when all of our guys went into Iraq. And remember, literally by the thousands of people, they surrendered. Do y'all remember that? Looking at the news, and you can see the people just lined up the Iraqi soldiers. I mean, man, we've been bombarding them for so many days. And Robert would say, they were just walking up to us and say, I surrender. I mean, they all had their arms up and say, we quit. 
You know what it says when it says, follow me? I want you to know, surrender is not weakness in this term. Surrender is say, Lord, I'm yours. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple, here's the characteristic. Deny, pick up the cross, follow me. So I have a question. Is Luke chapter 6, I want you to hear this. Is Luke chapter 6, verse 23, just written on this page? Or is it also written in your life? It's one thing to be written on a page. So here's the invitation. I want you to place yourself, and I want you to stand in front of the mirror, just like when you go in, and they take an x-ray, and they can look inside. I want you to stand in the mirror, and I want you to ask these questions. Am I denying myself? Some of you, the moment we stand for the invitation, you need to walk right down this aisle and say, Lord God, when I look in this mirror, I'm not denying myself. It's about me. Christ said the characteristic is deny yourself. The second word, dying to yourself, picking up the cross. Some of you look and say, oh man, I see a lot more in me in that mirror than Jesus. You know what you need to do? Ma'am, sir, as soon as we start the invitation, you need to walk right down here and say, Lord Jesus, when I look in this mirror spiritually, I see a whole lot more in me than I see of Jesus Lord, let me die to myself. Here's the last one. Surrender. When you look in this mirror, I want you to look at it. Look at it. I want you to see it. When you look in this mirror, do you see a person who surrendered? If anyone desires to come after me, deny, pick up the cross, surrender and follow me. You know what? I've got to look at the mirror. Deny, I'm denying myself. Am I picking up the cross? Am I surrendered? In just a moment, here's what you need to do. If you don't see those things in your life, the moment we stand to sing, why don't you come and you're on your knees before God and say, God, I desire to come after you. I deny. I die. I surrender. Lowell didn't come up with these characteristics. Our pastors didn't sit in a room and say, man, what does it really look like if anyone does it? We didn't do that. 
It's Christ who's saved. You know what we've done in America? We have made it all just no. deny, die, surrender. Lord God, I pray across this room right now that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will have completely freedom in this invitation time. Because, Lord God, you're the one that laid out these characteristics. Lord, you laid out these characteristics. If anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself. He must pick up the cross. He must follow me. Lord, as so many of us look in the spiritual mirror of our life, Lord, we don't see denying ourselves. We don't see picking up the cross. We don't see surrender. Lord, I I pray that God, as we stand and sing, will come if anyone desires. Deny Die, surrender. Lord, I pray that we'll come. In Christ's name, amen.